God's Word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you and praise you again that we can come this evening into your presence. And we thank you for the great privilege now to come under your word. We ask that you would mold and shape our hearts after the image of Christ. We depend upon you, Holy Spirit, for this work in us. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. In book three of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, he writes these words about Christ. Calvin notes, We may say that not only was he subjected to a perpetual cross while he dwelt on earth, but his whole life was nothing else than a kind of perpetual cross. If I were to ask you this evening, or if you were to think about this for yourself, what do you expect the rest of your life here on earth to be like? Kids, if someone may have asked you this, or if I asked you this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you, what do you think that your life, moving forward until your death, will be like? To put it another way, what is the form that we as Christians should expect our lives to be from this point on until we die? We could put it a different way. How should we view our lives as those in union with Christ 
How should we think about our lives? If you turn the pages of the New Testament, one of the key realities that you're easily going to come across is the fact that we who are believers in Christ are those who also possess resurrection life. Colossians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3, Paul develops this theme that we are those who have been raised with Christ. Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Or Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Or Hebrews chapter 6, no doubt speaking about those who really do eventually apostatize and fall away, but nevertheless, a reality which is true of all those in the church, it is this reality that we taste of the powers of the age to come presently as we come under the Word. Or in the words of Jesus, that when we repent and believe upon Him, we enter into the present but not yet consummated kingdom of God. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in Paul's language again, we are those united to Christ who has already begun the great harvest resurrection. Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits. And so we've already begun to participate in this great harvest resurrection. And so as Christians, as those united to Christ, we recognize that we are those who possess this resurrection life. We have already been raised up with Him. But the question we need to consider this evening, how does that resurrection life which we now possess take shape in this life? What is the form that the resurrection life that we now have take in this age, the age between the first coming and the second coming of Christ? As we look at the text this evening, we begin to see that Paul expects life for the believer to operate in a specific way. You can again look down at, with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the first thing that we notice is that according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 and elsewhere, resurrection life, which we now have, is manifested in suffering. Look with me at verse 10. Paul says, We are those who always carry in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Bodies which he has just described as being jars of clay. Verse 7. Now you may think, well, this is Paul speaking about himself. In the context, it's Paul speaking about ministers of the New Covenant. But we learn from elsewhere in Scripture that what Paul expects and what Paul is experiencing here as one who is ministering in the greater New Covenant 
Likewise, Christians experience the same realities that Paul lists here. We are those who are, in verse 8, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are those who are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10 shows us that it is in the context of, quote, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that, quote, the life of Jesus is manifested. Or verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, or in our bodies, or in these jars of clay. In other words, the life of Jesus, the resurrection life which Paul claims to now possess in part, manifests itself in Paul's suffering. So that the form of resurrection life which we now have takes the shape of affliction. Paul reaffirms that the life of Jesus is set forth. It's put on display in His suffering. And so, what do we think then of suffering? How do we regularly think about the perplexities and the afflictions which we go through? Many people think that suffering or things like it are merely tacked on to different people at different points in their Christian life. Some experience it, while others, not so much. Or others may view suffering as a necessary evil that Christians must simply buckle down and bear down and face. But Paul says, and you see it, he says that suffering... That affliction is not something tacked on, but it is something that he always carries in his body. It is the present form of the Christian's life. The present form of carrying around the life of Jesus is set forth in our weakness. If you would, flip a few chapters ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Context, 2 Corinthians 12, is Paul dealing with this thorn in the flesh. Look with me at verse 8. Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Commenting, On this phrase, in weakness, Richard Gaffin says that the Christians is a fellowship in which God's power is made perfect, not alongside of or beyond, but in weakness. The power of God set forth, the power of God realized in Paul's weakness, not beyond it. Not around it, 
in that form. Suffering. And the world cannot understand this. How is it that the power of God is put on display in human frailty? They hate the thought. The Christian recognizes this is the form of life from cradle to the grave. It may be easy to think that suffering, affliction, trials, temptations are merely tacked on to certain people at certain times throughout our life. In other words, some have comfort, others suffering. Paul says it's not partly comfort, partly suffering. He always carries this in the mortal body. And so secondly, not only have we seen that resurrection life is manifested in affliction, in suffering, but that secondly, the whole of the Christian experiences is one of suffering. Notice his language in verses 10 and 11. He uses different words, but carrying the same meaning. Verse 10, always carrying. And verse 11, always being given over to death. It's not an on and off reality for the Christian. It's not as though sometimes we face trials, Sometimes life is manifested in mortal flesh, but Paul is saying this is the concrete form that our experience takes. We expect it as part of this age. Again, Gaffin says, until he comes again, the concrete form of the Christian's fellowship with Christ is the cross. And so it's not simply added on Yes, there are certain things which certain people must go through in God's providence. But the whole of one's Christian experience is a manifestation of the power of God in the very weakness of your mortal flesh. In other words, we can say suffering, afflictions, is bound up with our very identity in this age. Turn again back now to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. And notice the way Paul sets forth our identity with His present experience. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Identity. Who we are. Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified With him, suffering for Paul is bound up with who he is as an adopted child of God. And so we can say, again, it takes different forms, no doubt. 
But the way in which the life of Christ is manifested is in the mortal flesh, so that Paul can say, essentially, without this suffering, you aren't adopted. That is how closely the two come together in verse 17. To be a fellow heir with Christ in the family of God requires that we go through the flame of affliction. And doesn't this make sense? Doesn't this make sense in light of Scripture's witness about Christ? You think of Peter's words in First Peter chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial as though something strange were happening, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's Sufferings, And so if our head goes through suffering, so the body must follow. And so Christ, as our head, as our forerunner, as Calvin says, went through a perpetual cross, so the Christian united to Him likewise partakes in this suffering to glory pattern. Where there is no cross, There is no crown. Where there is no humiliation, there is no exaltation. Where there is no suffering, there is no glory. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, there's a scene towards the end of part one. Christian has just gone through the river of death onto the celestial city, and Bunyan notes that one of his people that he came across throughout his journey, a man by the name of Ignorance, likewise has found himself at the celestial city, but Bunyan says, rather than going through the river of death, he crosses over on a boat and he escapes the pain. And Bunyan records that the lord of the castle commissions the angels to cast ignorance into the flames of hell. In other words, ignorance did not understand Acts 14.22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Glory Yes, we presently experience it. Paul in 2 Corinthians says that we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but there is more later. You see, this is the opposite then of the way that the world thinks. The world says, I will take as much glory now in this life and leave whatever may come for later. This is the way the world thinks. Some of you may know the song written by Billy Joel. It says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Sinners are much more fun. This is the way the world operates. I'd rather get the, quote, glory now and experience whatever may come later and the Scriptures say, actually, it's the opposite. 
for you, Christian. Yes, there's glory now. But it's veiled in our mortal flesh, in our sufferings, in our affliction. And oh, the glory that will come when we see Christ face to face. How long then must we go through this? Paul says, always. But can we, can we es- escape this identity? Again, Romans 8 tells us that along with the groaning creation, we too, in our present suffering, will go through it until the revealing of the sons of God, a reality coordinate with the redemption of our bodies. That is your life. Not only is the life of Christ being manifested in our weakness, and not only is our suffering the pathway to glory, but thirdly, our suffering your suffering is doing something. It's doing something. Back to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self or outer man is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light Momentary affliction, notice what Paul says, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's not useless. Your suffering will look different than mine. Your affliction will be different. But friends, it is not useless. Your trials the flames of affliction, whatever they may be for you, illness, children walking away from the Lord, whatever it is, it's doing something for you. It's producing an eternal weight of glory. It's productive. It's purposeful. The Lord is using it And isn't it true that it's actually in the suffering, in the affliction, that we begin to behold the glory of God in a greater way? How many times have you heard Christians say, it was actually in my affliction, in my suffering, that I drew near to the Lord, or rather we could say, He drew near to me. See, it's actually in the valley where we begin to see with clear vision, stealing that from the little book, Valley of Vision. In the valley, we see with greater clarity. And when you begin to taste that glory, when you begin to have a clearer sight of Jesus, you want more. You can't get enough. And you're willing, and indeed actually rejoicing 
in the trial, not what you experience, but you can actually rejoice because you know the greater glory that is to come. If we could only get a glimpse, just a taste of that eternal weight of glory that Paul speaks of, just a taste. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which we right now by faith in jars of clay, in mortal flesh behold, but oh friends, the day when we will see Him by sight. John Owen, no doubt, experienced great trials, great suffering in his own life. He says this regarding beholding the glory of Christ. He says, by beholding the glory of Christ by faith, we shall find rest to our souls. Our minds are apt to be filled with troubles, fears, cares, dangers, distresses, ungoverned poison and lusts. By these, our thoughts are filled with chaos, darkness, and confusion. But where the soul is fixed on the glory of Christ, then the mind finds rest and peace. For to be spiritually minded is peace. Robert Haldane, commentator, one of the great commentators on the book of Romans, says this, God causes His children to suffer in different ways and for different reasons. For their good is for the trial of their faith, the exercise of patience, the mortification of sin, and in order to wean them from this world and prepare them for heaven. There are great trials. There are great difficulties, no doubt, which you may be facing right now, friends. We ought not to think that suffering is simply something that comes and goes. It is bound up with our present identity, but it is the form in which the power of God is manifested, not only to one's self, but also to the onlooking world. The power of God in afflictions. So be encouraged. Whatever affliction that you are going through, that you will go through, know that it is doing something. And also notice It is light and momentary, not in itself, but in contrast to the eternal weight of glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that in your good providence, you place trials in our experience. You have us go through the fiery trials. We ask, O God, 
that you would give us clarity in the midst of those trials. That we would know that it is through our jars of clay that the life of Jesus is manifested. We ask, O God, that you would be with us even as you have promised to be with us. And Holy Spirit, grant us fresh visions of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.